You know that friend who gets to the gym six or seven days a week? I think we all have that friend if we are not that friend. I don't think I've ever heard that friend called weak for working out regularly. Quite the opposite. Sometimes that friend gets called obsessive or something like that, often by people who aren't taking their physical health quite as seriously. But even in that case, that friend is overdoing a good thing. Nobody is suggesting that the desire to get to the gym in and of itself is a sign of weakness or a practice by a weak person. So why isn't that the case with therapy? Why is it that even now, after all we know about brain chemistry, the control mechanisms in human psychology, and the well-funded attempts by markets, political systems, and corporations to manipulate human thought and emotion, that the dominant pushback folks have about going to therapy is about being or appearing weak. I don't really know the answer to that in full. What I do know is that some of the language used in critique about psychotherapy and the need for it emanates from Western religion, which is part of what makes Monica DiCristina's work so interesting and I would suggest important. I really enjoyed my conversation with her and I think you will too. Check it out. Where are you right now? Where are you located? I'm in Atlanta. Are so, you are you from um, Atlanta? You know, um, yes, I was born and raised here. My dad is um, is not a U.S. citizen. He's Spanish, and my mom is American, but she moved probably every year or two. Um, but her mom is Southern. Um, and so we don't really have much of a Southern accent. I love, I love, um, I love, I love this. This is great though. Right out the gate. Spanish right. and Southern. Uh-huh. Like, I know. like it's a completely different, it's a different country. There's the South. It's a different country. Right. I love that you just did that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I am, I was born and raised here, but, um, but you know, I don't have like longstanding Georgia roots. Hmm. Does mm-hmm. it feel like home home? It's so like, that's, you, do you feel like an Atlanta, is it, it's an Atlantan? Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, it does now. I actually never thought I would live here. I, hmm. and I might've made a vow at some point that I would never <laughs> live in, um, in Georgia. Um, and then, um, you know, years later, my husband, I think was the first one to move back here. We had already met at college. And then I moved here and after wrestling with it for a while, you know, we lived in the city um, and I just have really fallen in love with it. I really, I really feel like it is home now, but in a new way, adopted home as an adult. What makes it that way? So when you talk about like falling in love with a place. Yeah. Um, I mean, like people do that. mm -hmm. Like, you know, we sit, you know, it's, it's like a, you know, I left my heart in San Francisco or I love Texas or yeah, yeah, I love the Northwest or whatever. What is it for you? Like, like, how do you fall in love with Atlanta? What's it look like for you to fall in love with a place? That's a great question. I think for me, um, it's been seeing Atlanta change as I've been here as an adult, just, um, just being able to, you know, be in the city and, um, and, and see all different kinds of changes happen, like including what happened in the election, you know, this year that mm-hmm. was historic, um, just seeing different, um, places go up. And I think feeling i I felt, you know, growing up, I grew up in the suburbs and so I didn't really feel a part of Atlanta at all. Um, but so I think having been here now for, Gosh, I don't know how many years we've been living in Atlanta. Um, I feel like I've kind of grown up and um, in it as an hmm. adult. And then I've also seen changes, which just kind of makes you feel like you're a part of something. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, and so I just feel, I feel more a part of the city. I don't, I, I can't take any credit for anything that's, um, but it's just, I feel like, um, you know, like I've, I've been a part of something for a while. And so I would say that. Yeah, it's, it's odd, like the way we, like you actually, yeah, if you, you, you like grow up with a town in the same way you grow up with a friend. And that's actually, yeah. and it's uh-huh. the fact that you've been in that together yeah. in a sense that like. Right, exactly. You, you yeah. might not, you might not like, you might not even like like her the way she is now, but you've been around right. her so long. That like, right. yeah, I, Teresa was way kinder in high school <laughs> right. and we're still friends and, but you still, you'd feel this uh-huh. like attachment. It's really interesting yeah. the way that happens yeah. geographically. I was just talking with a friend who's thinking of moving from. Oakland, which is just over the hill from me, which is where I was born, to, Mar- uh-huh. to Martinez, where I live now. 
Okay, wow. And she said, as I was talking, she goes, sounds like you really like Martinez. And I was like, I have to think about that. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I know yeah. I feel attached and I know it. It mm. feels like home, but I don't know if yeah. I would say like, I love it. That yeah, way. that's a great distinction. Yeah, that the togetherness creates attachment, but, but not necessarily preference. That's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, how would you, if someone says like, you know, what do you do? I mean, you've got, you have like an about you section on your website, like, but sure. like you, let's say you meet someone on a bus or an elevator <laughs> yeah. and you've got to give like the quick, hey, this is what I'm up to. This is what I do with my time in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you say? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, what what do I do? I mean, I would, you know, the primary thing I do, um, not necessarily in an hour, probably in hours, actually, is I, I do have three kids, you know, and I and those are um, such a priority for me, as, you know, as all parents say that, but it's it's true. Um, and then outside of that, I run my own private practice. I'm a therapist and I'm a practicing therapist. I see couples and I see individuals, um, primarily women, but then the couples are, are oftentimes um, heterosexual couples. I see man and a woman. Um, and then outside of that, I really try to take what I'm doing in the office, kind of the, the art and the science of therapy, and I've started putting it out into the world. So on a podcast called Still Becoming, and then the offshoot Still Becoming Kids, and then with writing and articles. And um, yeah, I would say that that's kind of what I, what I spend my time doing. Do you love it? Is it, is this yeah. like in terms of like having it like a soul home for like a vocational? So is this like vocation and this is a job you identify yeah. with? It? Is it in you, in your skin? Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, great question too. I would say I do love it. I do. You know, I mean, I, I feel so deeply connected to, um, becoming that idea of, of becoming more yourself, becoming more free. I think cause I lived it, um, in my own way, everyone lives it differently. But I really struggled for years, and that's why I went into mental health was mm. to kind of was to help people in the way that I found help, and um, and I just feel very you know I kind of I feel like the word passionate is really overused, but I feel um, really strongly just about about the topics that I that I get to talk about or that I write about. Yeah, talk a little bit like you, coming into this. It's just like a because there aren't like a ton of TV shows like as a kid, like, you know, there was like chips and I was like, yeah, I want to be a highway patrol officer because there was a TV show about it or like, yeah, I would like Uh to be the Hulk or some crap. Yeah, yeah. Do you as a child like have like memories of of like what sparks you in the direction of psychotherapy? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, the, the story for a lot of people is like I was in a bad spot. I was helped. I wanted to turn around and pass it back first, yeah. which is different with psychotherapy than it is with a lot of vocations where like you mm-hmm. kind of, you come into it as an adult. Like, I don't know kids who were like, yeah, yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to be a therapist. Not that right. it doesn't happen. But, so how do you come to it? Um, you know, I, I, I definitely did not think about it as a kid. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to save all the dolphins and all the whales. Oh. And then I wanted to, um, be an artist. I really thought that I would be an artist, um, like a practicing artist. You know, I think everyone is an artist and is creative. Um, and then, and then it was that kind of classic story about psychotherapy that you hear a lot is that as a very young adult, barely an adult, um, I met a therapist who, you know, after years of, I tried to go to churches, I tried to kind of get help wherever I could. And even though people were very well-meaning, I didn't find any help and, Hmm. and really hit some pretty um, sad walls about that. And then when I met this person, there was a name for what I was dealing with. Hmm. And, you know, I think I've always been attracted to um, creative expression. I've always been attracted to the idea of people getting free. And I think that all kind of came together. You know, I had a brief uh, pre-med period in college too. And so, you know, I really do, I I like the science of therapy. Hmm. Um, And and then the artistic side of me, it's very much an experiential thing. You know, you never know what sessions will be like, but you have to have the science to back it up to be able to practice the art well. Um, 
how are the dolphins? Have you checked in for a while? <laughs> I mean, do you feel? <laughs> I, I, I feel like I abandoned the dolphins. <laughs> yeah, it's a good um, thing I'm, you have to work through in therapy. I know. Yeah, I really don't know how they are, and I should check in. Okay. Um, but yeah, I have. I you know, I still get gifted dolphin T-shirts as a joke by people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was that girl. That's awesome. Um, so, but yeah, but I, I really have not kept up with them. Um, talk about for a second. Um, the I I don't want to like go through the doorway of like the, the of the the toll of your job. I do want to talk about in sure. uh, talk that in uh, talk about that in in general. Yeah. But really specifically, how has your understanding of people or your view of people changed over the course of time? So when you're around in normal, do you is does the therapy just just like therapist Monica? like switch off or do you see people in general differently now than you did when you started your practice? Do you see like humanity in general or specific conversations? Like is your Mm -hmm. view of humanity and view of individuals Mm -hmm. different now because of your work and how? Um, Yes, I would say it definitely is very different now because of my work. And, you know, when I, when I was in graduate school, um, I remember I had a a friend from high school and we were talking about a relationship she was in and I um, offered some unsolicited advice and she shot me down so hard. (laughs) And it is one of, it was one of the greatest gifts. She said, no, 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 no. (laughs) Don't do that kind of therapy stuff on me. And, and I hope that that was the first and last time I ever did that because I, from that moment, I realized how off putting it is for a therapist to walk around as a therapist in everyday life. You know, no, Hmm. no one's asking for that at all. And so I really sincerely try to leave that part of myself, not in an abandoning way, but just in a, a human way in the office. Hmm. But where it has transformed how I see people, I think in a really positive way, is that when you practice therapy, or maybe, you know, um, as a pastor, I'm not sure, but as a therapist, you see everybody up close. And it is really hard to dislike people up close. Oh, wow. And no matter no matter their story. Now, of course, there's exceptions to that. But when I when I read a, a story about someone or I meet someone, I think about the up close version, even if I don't have the access to it. You know, I think about that there each person we see has this up close version. And I've and I've in therapy, you learn to join with people that you might on the street really not be able to join with. Yeah. And so it's this practice of learning to see humanity up close that I think has hopefully um, made me a, a more soft hearted person. I love that line. You said it's hard to dislike people from up close there. Yeah. I mean, that that might be a character thing for you because it's the, mm-hmm. it, because maybe for other folks, not so much. Uh, yeah. Like the, the mm-hmm. closer they get to folks and maybe there's some, not maybe there's probably yeah. some unprocessed work in them as well. But for some sure. folks, like part of why we remain at a distance is because I don't like these people want to get closer. Would you say like for you, like mm. you end up being, you end up being able to enjoy and like people more because you assume that up close, they are more beautiful, more complex and more likable. Mm. That's a great question. You know, I, I, I would say. I would say that I am um, a very introverted person and I, you know, keep a pretty close, tight circle of really close friends. And so, you know, that those things really might be in in contrast to each other. Um, So I would say that it doesn't work itself out that I find myself really getting very, very close to people really easily because of that knowledge. I think what it, what it, how it works itself out is that I'm more likely to check myself, you know, to check myself and to say, Hey, like, you know, I, I really don't, nobody really knows what's going on behind closed doors. Nobody really knows. And it's very easy to judge. Um, and, and I do it all the time. Um, it's very easy to judge, especially from a distance. And so I would say that, you know, it doesn't necessarily make me May, you know, maybe like is the wrong word. Maybe um, remember our shared humanity all, as much as I can yeah. all the time with people. Let's go to 30,000 feet then and talk about the toll of the job. Every job sure. has a toll of some kind. Some mm-hmm. some jobs have a, the, a much heavier toll uh, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. Not everyone can be... Uh, 
not everyone can be a uh, a physical therapist mm-hmm. because dealing with someone's physical trauma can be really, really frustrating. Um, yeah. My, you know, my buddy Ryan works with like uh, morbidly obese people, and mm-hmm. he, and I can't imagine for me personally, like the level of patients he works with to go from yeah. like, hey, you're five hundred and sixty seven pounds. Yeah. And we're going to try to get you to 430 pounds mm-hmm. and celebrate that. And like mm-hmm. all the, like the, the incremental change. Yeah. And like the, the weight literally emotionally that comes mm-hmm. with like doing that job. And yeah, I can't imagine having that kind of patience as a therapist. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're particular weights you end up carrying emotionally. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about like the toll of the job and mm-hmm. ways, ways you've either experienced that and like, what do you do with it? Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's such a great question. And I think, you know, I would probably answer this question really differently Hmm. um, in different years of my life. Um, Hmm. I would say when I when I first became a therapist, um, I took everything home and and I and I worried more about my performance um, than than I should have. And and that really got me um, all tied up in knots. Um, And so I think that that But then years later, I would say, I don't worry about my performance because I'm not even focused on that. Hmm. It's just not even, it's not even what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the client. And so I would say that that, that kind of self growth has helped there be less of an emotional toll in that way. Now, the reality is that some of the work I do is very, very heavy. And um, I would say that what has helped the most is to have boundaries. And that's probably a predictable answer. Hmm. Um, but it's really true that I, I realize, and I think it's important to identify this with any kind of relationship you're in. I realize my limits. Hmm. I am so limited to impact someone. And that in turn gives me freedom to be able to lovingly let them live their lives between the session, oh, wow. you know, without me trying to meddle in my mind, you know, wow. um, I, I'm so, I, there's only so much I can do. And, and so much is, I think that who really gets underestimated as the real hero in therapy are the clients. Hmm. They're the ones doing the hard work. You know, you and I have both been to therapy, right? And we know that it's hard work sometimes. It's really hard, hard work. And so I think remembering my limitations, having boundaries, and then just, just knowing that I'm human and sometimes it's just hard as hell. Like the, you know, yes. the pandemic, um, it's just been, it's, it's been hard, you know, uh, transitioning to all online therapy, just that the process that that was like for my body and my mm. mind and my emotions, it was taxing. I feel like now I've kind of hit a stride with it and I, I understand what I need more and, and I've adapted, but there was a period of time where it would just, you know, a day of therapy would really kind of tank me it was worth the effort um but but there was definitely a higher toll Hmm. especially now like how how big a part does uh like physical exercise play in your own self-care like embodied practice Mm -hmm. getting outside Mm -hmm. working out like what Mm -hmm. does it look like for you Mm -hmm. yeah i'm I mean, I, I am a huge um, believer in physical activity. You know, I was a soccer player. It was a huge part of my life. Um, and so I I find so much comfort and relief there. And there's just the science. Like, this is where I get into the science of it. Yeah, please. That when I, when I think about exercising, I know that our bodies need to complete a stress cycle. Just like like if a lion chases a gazelle, I, I'm going, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this tangent up, I promise. Do the, no, do the whole thing. Take <laughs> You got time. Okay, the, a lion chases a gazelle and the gazelle gets away. Um, what you'll see is that the, the gazelle will shake its body like vigorously, even like um, really intensely to shake that stress out. And that's how I see exercise is that, you know, whatever I'm carrying, I have to complete that stress cycle. I need to let that stress out of my body. So whether that's parenting, whether that's therapy, whether that's unmet expectations or my own, you know, anxieties, Hmm. um, it's huge. And I'm, I am one of those Peloton nerds. Um, I am a, I love the Peloton. I, before that I was a big into running, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm a devoted Peloton person. You mentioned the, you said the word boundaries a minute mm-hmm. ago, which uh, is going to lead me to ask you about the internet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, and I'm going to start a, th- a thing here that I- I've done uh, with a lot of my guests. That's a sort of this, it, to some degree, it's, I'll call it like a practice of lexicon, where there are words we use that some of us mean differently. Like you'll say mm. certain things and you'll mean that differently than like the next person. And it's important for folks to understand yeah. if they're going to get you or follow along with you, like what you mean by that. Mm, I want yeah. I want to do this a little bit differently with you. Okay. So instead of just throwing out a word like mental health, mm-hmm. I want to talk about some relationships, some like mm-hmm. some like cultural touch point relationships. And the first one is I want to ask about the internet and mental health. Mm. And so what I want to do first, and, and this is where it'll be different. So normally I would just kind of throw a thing out and then you talk and then we're going to go on to the next one. I'm yeah. going to throw a thing out. You're going to talk and I'm going to pick out some things to kind of pluck at because for me this first one the internet and mental health is massive um like it it might i'm gonna go way over the top by saying this this might be like the most important conversation to to be having Mm -hmm. in in america period right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and freaking no one is having it yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh so can you talk i'm just gonna say the words internet Mm -hmm. The internet and mental health. What happens Mm. in you? What goes off in your brain? Talk about the internet Mm. and mental health for a minute. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is is double-edged sword, right? I think that's the right saying. I'm notoriously really bad with sayings. But it's like the internet really can go both ways. I think it can be... a positive actually for people and their mental health, because sometimes people are so isolated, whether that be how they identify or whether that's where they are geographically, that they can't find anyone to feel a deep sense of belonging with. And the internet provides that sometimes for people. And I know people would say, well, it's not in real life, but I think that it can, I've seen it. I've seen it bring relief and comfort to people who are grieving something specifically, even to be able to hear other stories. Now, on the other hand, the internet is full of, I would say, dangers for mental health. There's no way I'm going to be able to list them. I'll probably remember 10 after we hang up. Um, But, you know, I think that one of the first things that comes to mind is, um, or two things that come to mind is comparison Hmm. and is overstimulation. And so, you know, um, comparison being that you know, we compare our insides to other people's outsides. And, you know, a lot of people I, I think are talking about that, but but I see that up close with people. I see, you know, the impact of that and how that how terrible that makes them feel. And then I think the overstimulation, I think that we um, as a, a in general, we prefer I, this is not fair to say in general, but I think that it is a great numbing agent hmm. to be able to not connect to yourself or connect to your feelings. And I think the further we go down that road, um, the more pain that we might actually inflict on ourselves or on others, because we're, we're just not in touch with who we are or what we want or what we need and, and, and not in touch with that with other people in our lives. So that's off the top of my head. So can it be done well? Like, is, is, is it like, Mm -hmm. insofar as it's a double-edged sword, I go after this a lot that, Uh I mean, Facebook is 17 years old. Like, it's yeah. it's a freaking teenager, so it's, of course it's an emotional wreck. Yes, yes. Can it can it be done well? And where do you see it done well? Like where do you see mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. people living uh, healthily online? Mm-hmm. What's that look like? Yeah, you know, I I think it can be done well. Now, as far as Facebook specifically. I don't know if that can be done well. I mean, I I just, you know, I wasn't on Facebook for over a decade, you know, and I just recently got back on as I was putting my work out there and I have no idea what's happening there. I really, it's the strangest world. I, I don't even know what it means if I'm friends with someone. And then I started getting odd questions and I don't even know how to comment on someone's until someone came for a friend of mine. And she told me about it as we were sitting on the back porch. And that's when I figured out how to comment on someone's thread. Um, And so I I don't know about Facebook specifically. It feels like there's too many variables. Now, I do think that Hmm. um, something like Instagram, and this is where I I do see that it can be done healthily. But of course, that's really biased because that's my experience, you know, so that that may be totally unfair to say that. I, I will say in general, I read a quote and I don't know who who to give credit to. So it's not me, um, but I, I can't remember the exact quote. But it said something like, if you're not getting inspired, 
networking um, or laughing um, on the internet, then you're using it wrong. Yeah, that's mine. I said that. Oh, you did? No, I'm kidding. I wish. That sounds great. I would like to steal that. <laughs> I was like, I'm, wait a I'm, second. I'm, that was too easy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to claim that and pretend yeah. like that's mine. I can send you the quote, though. I, yeah. I, know, who's, I know whose feet it was on, um, and I'll send it to you. But if you're, not being, thought, in, yeah. if you're not being inspired or laughing. Then or networking. Or networking, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're missing the whole point, yeah. you know, which the and then that gets into the places of comparison or overstimulation or using it to numb. Right. That, you know, it's just like anything. We we kind of can do that with anything, you know. So do you feel like you move the needle for people like on specifically on Instagram? Do, mm. you, do you believe that what you are doing mm-hmm. on Instagram is making a positive impact to people's lives? Is that part of why you continue to do it? Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, I would first ask a question back is what do you mean by moving the needle? Mm. You know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Are, like, are people better mm, in their yeah. lives for paying, for paying attention to Monica Di Cristina online? Are people mm. better off in their own lives? You know, I don't know that I could take any credit for anybody being better for reading what I write. That's I think that, God. you know, I just don't think that that's, I don't think that that would be accurate or even, you know, fair, but I would say that what, why I do it and what I use Instagram in, in particular is, is as a creative expression and as a way to um, put out things that I have hope for. Now the impact, again, back to the boundaries, impact is out of my hands, hmm. but I kind of focus more on the hope and the intention That's good. and the hope and the intention it is good. It's for good. If you've been around the podcast for any amount of time, you know that I ask almost all my guests about their experience of life online. Part of why I do that is because I'm in a lot of conversations about the impact that online life has on our happiness. We look around at people in our similar stations of life and wonder why we are not there. And that can cause a bit of dysmorphia, a sense of displacement from the life we're actually living. And maybe you're like a lot of folks who are struggling with that, or maybe you're just facing depression or you're stressed, you're anxious. Maybe you got some trauma you don't know what to do with. BetterHelp is actually available right now to you, and it is more affordable than offline counseling. In fact, if you jump right now to betterhelp.com slash at C, that's A-T-S-E-A, they'll give you 10% off your first month just because I sent you. Therapy through BetterHelp is also more conveniently located on the device you are probably using to listen to this podcast. Everything you share is confidential and If you don't click well with the therapist you're initially paired with, you can try another therapist. That's not a ploy. That's them and me taking your mental health seriously. Jump to betterhelp.com slash at C. That's A-T-S-E-A. You will be joining over 1 million people, including me, who've taken this step in the direction of health because I want to make a better offering of myself to the world I'm given to. Religion and psychotherapy. Go. Mm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just, I mean, there's so many, so many layers. First, yes. I'll say, I think they can definitely go together. I think that um, religion, and, and I can only speak from um, uh, my own experience as someone who identifies as a Christian. I wasn't necessarily raised that way. I was raised as kind of like an obligatory Catholic um, but I identify as a Christian. I think that it, it really can go together. I think I think where there's danger is that sometimes, and again, this is my experience, people present things in the Christian church that are um, pseudo-psychotherapy, and mm. they're actually not. And I think that that's really dangerous because you can really, um, you can really cause harm for people. Um, but I do think overall... Um, as long as we're understanding our roles, it can be done well. Like I will say often to a client, if you know, I see clients from all different backgrounds, but I do see clients who identify as Christians and they want to talk about that. And I'm very comfortable doing that. But I'll say I my role is not as a pastor. That is I, I'm very clear that my role is a therapist. And so I stay in that lane while helping them process. Whereas a pastor, I would say maybe, I don't know, I've never been one, might have more leading than a therapist would have, would might have more 
you know, interpretations of certain texts than I would have. I kind of try to stay in my lane. And I think that is one way where it can be done well. I think when you over conflate the two though, yeah, like we need, it needs to be a both and, but when there's over conflation, I, I just made up that word. That's where we can get into some dangerous territory. That's good. Uh, give me an example of, you said pseudo psychotherapy. The we mm-hmm. like it is it's a that's a real thing, real thing. That's like an mm-hmm. actual like thing thing. Yeah. Give me an example of like actually problematic pseudo psychotherapy. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I will. I'll give you one from my own life, um, which was you know when I was I was really struggling with um, you know anxiety and it was really taking over my life. And so I followed the advice to um, memorize scripture. I memorized the hell out of the scripture. <laughs> I did a really great job and nothing changed. Yes. Um, you know, and so it's that kind of advice or, you know, I remember going to something when I was in college and there was someone who came in there and shared a quote unquote testimony where they had walked into a church one night and were cured of drug addiction and all these other things, which, and I'm not questioning that person's story that very much might be the reality, but what happens is that's presented as a model to overlay on all struggles. Yes. And that's where it becomes super dangerous. I I'll never forget how I felt when I was walking home after. After that, I thought, well, I guess God doesn't care about me because, because I've been praying about this for years and I'm still struggling. Um, So it's, I think that that's kind of, that's where I would land with that. Yeah. One of the things that it's this uh, collision, this dialogue, this, whatever, like religion and psychotherapy, one of the things that is it's exposed or I've seen is that it exposes bad religion. So in other words, um, Yeah. Like more so than it challenges the nature of psychotherapy or its limits or even like draws out the power of psychotherapy and its abilities. Mm-hmm. It really does expose mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. bad, abusive, toxic mm-hmm. religion. I'm talking to a client yes. yesterday who said the part of the reason she came to me is because she had a coach, like mm-hmm. a, a, a creative coach. Yeah. Who as a religious person was like pre- was prescribing these uh, religious practices and trying and she and ultimately said something on the lines of like unless you're manifesting these particular mm-hmm. spiritual traits mm-hmm. then then and, and and they were really specific it's like speaking yeah. in tongues and some crap like wow. this wow. unless this is happening then you're not tapped mm-hmm. into your own creative spirit now that's not just like that's not just bad because that's <laughs> like that what I think that's all that is is bad but it's not just right. bad because it's not good for her creative spirit or her mental health mm-hmm. that's garbage religion that's absolutely yeah. terrifyingly bad yeah. religion yeah it's mm-hmm. a, in a sense mm-hmm. like one of the things that makes good religion good is it leaves room for mm. things that are not itself that's one of the things that's one of the hallmarks wow. of actually good wow. religion is mm-hmm. it has its own boundaries and says mm. i don't live over there that's good like yeah, th- that's this over great. here that is psychotherapy's neighborhood and right. i can and i can give you directions and right like if and I can I can help you get there, but once you cross that mm-hmm. boundary, mm-hmm. like that's where you are, and I don't live yeah. over that. That's and that's not to say that God doesn't exist in both places. <laughs> like, right? Sure, she might. I but like yeah. uh, it depends probably on the therapist or the church. But like, right? But good religion has its own boundaries and mm. says I don't I don't actually live over there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Last one: um, mm-hmm. politics and mental health. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I hate to be this this kind of annoying question asker, but you know, I would first ask, what do you mean by politics? Good, because you know, I, sometimes when people are describing things as politics, they're not what I'm identifying as politics. Hmm. Um, you know, like uh, people say, like I don't want to talk about political things, but they're referring to questions of racial injustice. I'm like that's not political. That's, that's racism. Right. I mean, so, you know, I think that that would be the first thing I would want to kind of decide is, well, what are we actually talking about? And and if we're if we're actually talking about politics, I would say, like, um, then we're talking about programs and things that get voted in and legislation, um, then, then I, then I do think that they're, of course they impact each other. Um, you know, and, and I'm no expert on the, the legislation of mental health in, in Georgia in particular. Um, but I will say that I, I have seen it impact real lives. I've seen it, you know, I used to work, um, at an outpatient, center for a big hospital in Atlanta with people that were duly diagnosed with chronic mental illness and substance abuse. And, you know, I, I saw the impact of 
decisions to close certain facilities. And and that one eventually got closed too. And and I and I saw because the funding was cut. Hmm. And I saw the impact on all these different lives who really didn't have anywhere else to go, didn't have any other resources. So hmm. that would be the way I would um you know say that they intersect one way. <laughs> yeah. Um and you have you've been um you have gone after uh, white supremacy with your like with your Instagram feed. You've talked about whiteness. You've talked about Black Lives Matter. Like you'll approach these topics. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your your responsibility? And there's I should say this: like you have a responsibility to your to your to your clients. And then you have a, and then you also have an, an online presence. We're going to jump back to, sure. to web and mental yeah. health stuff and kind of mix it in with the political conversation is mm-hmm. you do also have a, a relationship with, um, gosh, I wouldn't have thought like, a, a, like an audience, a tribe, but like the people who follow you online. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you'll invite them into like your perspective, um, mm-hmm. about, about blackness and about like racial injustice can you do you like, what reflection do you have about you on like your relationship to people uh, online? And the reason I'm asking this question is because like for me this is where like the web and politics comes in like they actually like playing together because ultimately like when we're talking about politics and you're right like what do you mean by this? Mm-hmm. How do, how do I live together and by what rules do I understand and live in relationship to my neighbor? That's ultimately yeah. what politics is. Like, how do we live together? And by, mm-hmm. well, by, what, by what rules do I understand and live in relationship to my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Talk about your, what you find to be like your responsibility online mm-hmm. with, a, with a broad audience of people who aren't, most of whom aren't going to end up sitting in a chair mm-hmm. either or, you know, on a screen or in an office with you. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have a sense of like, this is what my role and responsibility is here? Or like, how does that play out for you? Yeah. You know, I would say that it's really complex as a therapist. It's really complex. And, you know, I built my whole practice and everything I do in the therapy office, which is, is the real, real personal work. And I, I, um, without ever being online. Um, I was never online. I mean, I've been practicing for years um, and, and just built a practice by word of mouth. And so I don't, I don't go on social media to promote my practice or to do really anything with my actual practice and actual clients. In fact, I'm, I'm always surprised if clients find me. I never tell them about my podcast or about anything huh. I do online. Um, you know, now that, that it, that it's growing some, I will get people who, who contact me about that from, from, from the internet. Right. But I very much keep those worlds very, very separate. And I think that that's an ethical way to do it. Now, as far as kind of speaking about things that I think are really important, um, I, I, what I come back to is I have no idea what I'm doing and, Hmm. I believe that, you know, and there's just a humility in there, right? I just, I'm just, I'm just a person just doing my best in the world. And I believe that whatever it is, it's in my life. I want to do it responsibly, whether that's being a mom, whether that's being a therapist, whether that's, you know, writing things online. And for me, responsibility is referring to the things that I think are really important. Hmm. And so, and I'm not always going to do that right. And I'm not always going to do it about everything that everyone else might think is important that I, that I'm not writing about, Hmm. but I just am trying to be responsible um, with what I write about. And so I see this little, little corner of the internet as I need to be responsible here. And as a white American, I think it is my responsibility to speak probably, you know, to other white Americans to write that that's, you know, that's probably more who I don't have a place to speak anywhere else, but I Hmm. want to say fellow white person to white person, this is what we need to think about. And this is who we need to listen to. And then we need to shut up, you know? Hmm. And so that's, that's, I just kind of think about it as responsibility. I would say. That's good. Uh, a number of years ago, um, I was in a, I guess a, it, was, it was kind of an argument with uh, with a therapist about my phrasing around like identity and disorder or illness. So in other words, I, I mm-hmm. said, 
I am ADHD. And she pushed back and she said, I don't want you to identify with that. And I was like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't know how to manage that. Like, and I still actually mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When, you know, I'm 47. So mm-hmm. when I was diagnosed, they just called it hyperactive disorder. It was just mm-hmm. like, he, he's hyperactive. I was like, well, sure. yeah. Yeah. yes, 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 sir. I am. Um, and then like, and it was it, like, a, we tried medication I, and it was, Again, back in the day when like we're going to throw a bunch of this stuff in your system and if it doesn't work, we're just going to stop. Like there, yeah. wasn't, there wasn't the same process yeah. there is now. My son mm-hmm. uh, recently diagnosed ADHD mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in March. Great time to be diagnosed ADHD, by the way, yeah. is right before Gosh. the pandemic and they plant you in front of a screen for I mean, eight months. Wow, that's hard. Yes. So wow. b- like now this is actually drawing out stuff in me where like some of my unconscious competencies were like, how have I, how have I lived with and in this mm-hmm. for, you know, 40 years, yeah, I'm trying to pass that stuff on. And one of the questions I have has to do with like the identification mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, the identification um, relationship to or over identification with or obsession with mm-hmm. something like ADHD or anxiety mm-hmm. or depression. Mm-hmm. I am sure. depressed. I mm-hmm. am, I, or I have anxiety. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about this? Cause there is, and I don't know exactly how to get into this as a question, mm-hmm. but it yeah. does. I think my therapist was right at the time to question the, I guess, the romanticism with which mm. I was. I was like romantically attached to some degree with my own disorder. Like I was like, I am ADHD, mm-hmm. and it made me. I'm also an Enneagram four, and so it's like. Mm-hmm. But and and I watched yeah. this, and I don't know. I don't know exactly what to do with it, but I'll see like other feeds like uh, uh, OCD and something is, is like a, is one of these like really funny feeds on Instagram. And it's like mm-hmm. this, like there is this romanticizing of mm-hmm. disorders mm-hmm. or illnesses. Do you have yeah. thoughts in here about like, I am depressed mm-hmm. or, I, or my, my anxiety where I claim it? Cause I'll hear folks push back and say, don't claim the anxiety. Like it's your anxiety. It's not your anxiety. You live with anxiousness or something along those lines. I don't yeah. know what to do in there. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? Oh gosh. Great question. And I would start by saying, I personally make it a practice not to push back on how people identify, hmm. you know, that that's just, that's not, that's not, I don't, I don't think that I should have that authority in someone else's life. Now, in the case of your therapist, that's different, right? Maybe you guys were in a relationship and that made a lot of sense. Um, So I'm not questioning the therapeutic wisdom of your therapist, but in general, like if someone's online or whatever, like I, I don't, I don't believe in, you know, questioning the way someone identifies because I think that they're the expert on themselves. Hmm. Now, when it comes to therapeutically, how I practice, I will say that, diagnoses are useful if they're useful, right? They're useful if they bring freedom, clarity, and a lack of shame. And sometimes Hmm. for people to be able to label something, I am depressed. I am anxious. I, I, you know, whatever it is, it's like a light bulb. And suddenly, instead of feeling like I'm just lazy and I'm the worst person in the world, Hmm. they, they start to feel some freedom and um, some hope. Hmm. Now, on the other hand, though, there are times where I um, have felt the desire to maybe defend someone against kind of the way that they're identifying if they're identifying in a way that's hurtful to themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if, if again, it's only useful if it's useful. If someone's identifying, you know, I am depressed and it's causing them great shame. Well, then that's where we want to look at that. Hmm. Then a, a third way. <laughs> this, is my, this is my therapist. Lots of gray minds. <laughs> it's great. Uh, you know, a third way to look at that is that there can be an empowering stance when you separate yourself from what you're struggling with. Hmm. I'll say that I personally have found a lot of empowerment in hmm. that with being able to separate myself from my feelings and then to be able to ride the wave, right? Or separate myself from my critical thoughts or separate myself from a shame spiral. Like, you know, this is not me. It's happening in me. It's happening to me, but I, as Monica, I exist as a, as a person that has lots of other strong parts that I might need to pull on to help this other part that's struggling. 
you know, so, so I think that there can be, if it feels helpful to the person, a really empowered place to kind of separate yourself from what you're struggling with because people struggle with really, you know, shaming thoughts. And it's like, okay, hold on. Like you get to be a whole person apart from that, hmm. you know, and that can be a light bulb moment for people. So I would say in general, I follow what brings freedom. Now it's a very airy fairy way to say it, but in, in real time, you can really start to collaboratively with a client, see what's bringing them freedom. This is really similar to the uh, thing I'll coach uh, artists towards, which is like to, to so closely identify with the work, especially if you're young in art making, you're so closely identified with the work that you you don't have a critical like a healthy relationship to it it's it's in your skin and so you don't know if it's mm-hmm. good you don't know if it's bad mm-hmm. just, just you're over identified and so to actually yeah. create some distance to finish the thing to move away from it and then come back later the way we'll listen to someone else's work mm-hmm. and you'll know that you know tom petty is better than you are or that mm-hmm. you know whatever i'm going to make all these mm-hmm. old school <laughs> rock and roll yeah. references <laughs> yeah. uh, you'll know that this is a better artist than you are but you'll still listen to her stuff and be like ah this song is not as great Right. There's a, there is a health, like a, like a really, and you said like the, the, you said, um, you said the, there's a power. You said, is that what you said? Like a strength or a power and separating an an empowered stance that you can take to kind of separate yourself from those sort of things to get some altitude on your own life. Yeah. And look at yourself in context. I'll coach folks Mm -hmm. in, in their, in their artistic endeavors in that direction. Part of Mm -hmm. what therapy does is mm-hmm. actually puts people in position and you keep doing this, which is fantastic is <laughs> that the, is that I don't submit, and this is such a mistake in understanding. I don't submit myself to a therapist. Well, if I, if it's a, if it's a garbage therapist, maybe this happens, but I don't submit right. myself to a therapist who then tells me what I'm thinking or tells me what yeah. I'm doing wrong. What great yeah. therapy does is it actually gives me altitude on my life so I can yes. be the hero in my own life. Exactly. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And that mm-hmm. empowered stance is so mm-hmm. incredibly vital, which is, I think, part of what she was getting to is like, stop identifying yeah. so closely with this thing yeah. and mm-hmm. obsessing mm-hmm. about like, I am ADHD. She's like, no, you're more like you live with this. This is a real part of who you sure. are, but you're more yeah. than that. And if mm-hmm. this doesn't have context in the wholeness of your identity, you're mm-hmm. going to get lost and be way too small. I get mm-hmm. that. I totally get that part of it. And I love hearing the way you talk about this. When you, you said earlier, you, I mean, you literally said something along the lines of like, you're the expert on your own life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's really powerful. Um, yeah. Last little bit for you is um, right now, today, post pandemic mm-hmm. ish, like the, yeah. the beginning, uh-huh. the beginning of the beginning of the maybe the end. The we'll see. Yeah, um, let's hope so. What does mental health look like for you as a person? So when you talk about your own mental health, mm-hmm. uh, how do you know you are mentally healthy, and how are you maintaining that? Mm, gosh, great question. Um, you know, I think that some of the warning signs for me that I'm not are are the way I treat other people in my life. You know, that if I'm, if I'm getting more and more irritable with the most important people in my life, it's a sign that, that I'm not taking good care of myself. Um, I think that sometimes my kindness is one of the first things to go Mm. when I'm struggling. And so that's kind of a, a flag for me that I, that I watch for. Um, I would say, how do I maintain it? You know, again, I, I mentioned I'm an introvert and I'm all, I also identify as a highly sensitive person. And so that's really hard when you have three kids and you talk for a living, right? So I, I have to really cultivate solitude and quiet um, that I often feel like my wires are poking out. And I'm just kind of, you know, just not my best self. Either I'm losing kindness or or I'm not as clear on what I think um, when I'm not able to get some solitude. And so hmm. meditation is a big thing for me. And <clears throat> not in any, you know, I think there's people who are really fancy about medication, meditation and like know all the things. I just use a simple app and, and then I, and then I also just sit quietly after that. And that really helps me. Um, reading, uh, is really important to me too. It just feeds me listening to things Hmm. and then exercise. Um, and then, and then connecting to, you know, 
really safe people is is part it helps me with my mental health and then finally being creative expressing myself um really i i found especially during through the pandemic when things are feel so um limiting i've found that creative expression is really important for me to feel like myself um and Hmm. and i don't think i don't think for all the adult years of my life that I really prioritize that. And I, I'm trying my best to do that now. That's really good. Well, um, thank you for your time. You mentioned earlier that like Im- your impact is not up to you. I was like, and how do you know you're making a difference? And yeah. you said, I don't think that's up to me. So I will yeah. say it makes a big freaking difference to me that wow. you exist and that you do the work you do online so I Instagram is a much happier place for me for me as a person <laughs> yeah because yeah. I think because I think the work you do there is uh, is very it's rooted it's real it's mm-hmm. um, I think your podcast um, is rare mm-hmm. even in its expression uh, mm. and and the way you go about a, like um, not you because you don't address issues. You actually mm-hmm. bring things to the table and you invite mm-hmm. people into bits and pieces. Yeah. I just I think what you do is great, and wow. I I am impacted by wow. your work. And so wow. I'm a you already know this. I'm a huge mm-hmm. freaking fan of yours. Wow. Well, so well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Honestly, it it really means a lot to me. And, you know, you just kind of feel like you're throwing things into the void sometimes. And, <laughs> yep. you know, I, I would say that, that you know, your feedback now and, and if where we've connected before, you know, it's just, it's felt like um, so generous, you know, and that's been one of, I would say back to a question about the internet it can be a healthy place when you meet really kind, generous people. And so it's so generous what you just said now. And I, and I really take it to heart. So thank you. And I feel the same way about your work. I appreciate that. You know, I really do. It has, it has greatly impacted me and your books too. That's well, high five them. Yeah. <laughs> High fives all around. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Atsy Podcast. If you would like to follow up with Monica DeCristina, you can find her at monicadecristina.com. DeCristina is spelled D-I-C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. No H. Monica DeCristina. From there, you can jump to other podcasts she's on, some writings of hers, and pretty much anything that has to do with her general philosophy about therapy, mental health, the intersection of religion and therapeutic practices. It's worth the time. Also worth your time is becoming one of the people who makes this podcast, the At Sea Podcast, possible. Jump to patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts and join the team of folks who's helping forge a pathway into the future. This podcast highlights the work of the people who are actually building that future right now today, that we would be informed in the ways that we build into ours. Thank you.